some way. Anybody that ambitious this week? All right. You swam a half mile. That's, I could not do that. That's impressive. Nice. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> yes, Amy. Thank you. Yes, and it was a good lunch yesterday. I heard that it was a great crowd. The food was delicious, so thanks for those who helped prepare that. So taking on a new role, that's sometimes very courageous. Addison, you got one? All right, there you go. Yeah, you, you went to the pep rally. It was rambunctious, and you'd rather not be in that, that wildness, but you took it on anyways. Cheered on the team. Way to go. Well, thanks. Way to stretch yourself, folks. And hopefully we'll do that can, throughout this uh, message series as we spend a few weeks listening to Jesus talk about the Beatitudes. Uh, he's not saying get an attitude. No, the Beatitudes, uh, these blessings of God, these ways that say that we are blessed, and yet they seem somewhat contrary uh, or unexpected. So we're going to struggle with those and see how we might grow into those blessings here over the next few weeks. Be sure to sign in on the attendance uh, folders in the pews. Just feel free to share any information you have there, any prayer concerns that you might want to lift up. Uh, there's not too much going on in the calendar. If you're a part of our administrative uh, board, administrative council, they will be meeting tomorrow. So just wanted to remind you of that upcoming meeting. Uh, directly after the service is a group of folks that are getting together to talk a bit more about uh, the coordination of our community lunch. So if you'd like to be part of that, feel free to join. Uh, for those, for, for students that are in high school, I'm going to be offering um, kind of a three-week abbreviated confirmation opportunity uh, in February. So talk to me if that's of interest to you. So those are a few of the upcoming uh, items. Otherwise, it's just exciting exciting to be here and offer our, our prayers and our, our praises this morning. Uh, greet those around you and make them feel warm on this uh, somewhat frigid day today as we begin our worship. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, and it is good to be together. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, creator of all that is, our strength and our guide, we come to you this morning in the midst of, uh, the midst of this cold season to be found by you again, to be restored, to be re 
revived. We come to grow in our faithfulness. We come to experience your call leading us to passionate service. Lord God, we want to be part of the work that you're doing to transform the world. So give us mouths to speak, hands to work, open hearts of prayer, give us lives of praise to you. Guide us as we worship you today in spirit and in truth. In the name of your Son, amen. is waiting for us to commit our hearts in church and temple. God is ready for us. God is blessing us. God is sending us. God is here. to God be the glory.
loving God, we come this morning seeking to abide in your presence. Open our minds to your spirit of wisdom that we may know how to live as your people. Open our hearts to your spirit of truth that we may love all your people with a love that speaks of justice, kindness, and radical grace. May this time of worship be authentic and pleasing to you. Amen. We'll join in the hymn, Be Thy People Praise You. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life
The epistle lesson is from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength.
verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit <coughs> inherit the earth. <coughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets you were, who were before you. And the children can come up to me for their communion. you guys ever run in a race before? Mm-hmm. Well, I want you to imagine you're running in a race, and it's a really long, it's a really long race, okay? It's going to be really long. So you've been running and running, and you're in second place, and up ahead of you is someone um, who's also running a good, strong race, and he's just thinking, oh, I'm going to pass him, I'm going to pass him, I'm going to pass him, and they speed up a little bit, and then that person speeds up a little bit. They speed up again, and then they speed up. They just, it's right there ahead of you the whole time. Now I want you to imagine that the finish of the race is a little bit confusing. There's a long shoot, kind of like the finish of the race. We have to run down the aisle here at the church. But the finish line is actually around the corner, okay? So you have to run down the aisle and around the corner. But the person ahead of you thinks the finish line is here in the middle because it's a little confusing. And so they start to stop, slow down, and stop. And so you're catching up. You have a chance to pass them, and then they race. What, what would you do? You might tell him he's going the wrong way. Yeah. Well, that actually happened in a big marathon. A runner named Ivan Fernandez Anaya was in second place behind another runner named Abel Matai. Let me pull up a picture here. And that very same thing happened. They were running a race in Spain, and Abel Mutai didn't speak Spanish, and he got confused about where the finish line was. So Anaya had a chance to pass him. This is a, I couldn't put it on the screen because it would be very blurry. I don't know if you can see. He comes up behind Mutai, and he's pointing and telling him, hey, you've got to keep going. The finish line is up there, and ran behind him for the rest of the race. So who, who won the race? Mutai won the race, right? What do you think people thought of what Anaya had done by letting Matai win the race? 
and he cooked it. So here's what Anaya said after the race. He said, I did what I had to do. He was the rightful winner. He created a gap. I, I wouldn't have been able to close it if he hadn't made a mistake. As soon as I saw he was stopping, I knew I wasn't going to pass him. But his coach said, it was a very good gesture of honesty. A gesture of that kind isn't made anymore. I certainly would have taken advantage of it to win. I wouldn't have done it. Winning always makes you more of an athlete. You have to go out to win. So his coach was actually really disappointed in what he did. Um, so it's kind of backwards. Matai won the race, but Anaya's the one that did the right thing, right? He let the true winner win. That's kind of what the Beatitudes are about that we're going to be learning about here. They're, they talk about what makes God happy is sometimes not what the world would say would make us happy or make us content or make us blessed. So in this case, I think, I think God could have added a beatitude and said, blessed is the one who lets the true winner win the race, for he will be a winner in God's eyes. And that Anaya later said about this, his decision to let Matai win, but what would be the merit of my victory? What would be the honor of that medal? This is my favorite part. What would my mom think of that? ways that's what the Beatitudes are about it's what would God think of that the Beatitudes go on to say you know blessed or happy are those who are are teased or persecuted for doing the right thing for they will know that that I am with them it says blessed are you who have lost what is most dear for dear to you because it is then you will feel the love of God so you lose something that's really important to you and he says you should be happy and content that's that's kind of backwards, isn't it? But it's kind of backwards like the race that Anaya let Matai really win, but he is really the true winner in the eyes of God. Can you say a prayer with me? You can repeat after me. Dear Lord, thank you for showing us the right way to live, to be blessed. Amen. Posted a message online, reached out to a friend, and said, I am so blessed. Perhaps you are feeling good about a promotion you got at work or you're loving retirement. You're celebrating that your grandchildren, your children are healthy. Or you've just been on a lavish vacation. You've seen some amazing sights. You received all of your Christmas wishes. I am so blessed. It can be an expression of gratitude, yes. It can also be a boast. Blessed, it's a word that has a lot of meaning. Fortunate, relieved, lucky, chosen. I find it unusual how a word can be spoken both in humility and in arrogance. I am so blessed. I want to ask you a question, and you have to think fast, all right? What are your greatest blessings? 
Okay, go. You have 10 seconds. Think in your head, what are your greatest blessings? Five, four, three, two, one. How many of you said my family? My family, you think, okay, yes. Uh, my, my home, I, you know, where I belong, my neighborhood. Yes, okay. Your church, maybe. Maybe your church family and friends are thinking of them, yes. Uh, Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. Anybody thinking about, there you go, thank you. I knew we would have one on the way back there. I mean, these are things that bring us joy, they bring us safety, they bring us savory scrumptiousness in some cases. We believe all these good things are from God, oh, we have these blessings. Are there deeper blessings, qualities, characteristics of being a whole, meaningful person, beloved in the eyes of God? Rather than asking you, what if I were to ask God, what are the greatest blessings? What would God say? Or how would God describe what a blessed person looks like? And for those answers, we are going to turn our attention to Matthew's Gospel and a little account that's been known as the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who rarely enjoy my sermons, we'll be listening to one Jesus spoke, so hopefully you'll listen to him at least. Matthew 5 to 7, and, uh, and, and to get started, to be honest, it's, it's probably true to say that this was not one sermon that Jesus gave. There are quite a few gems here in these three chapters of text, uh, frankly too much for the disciples to handle all at once. So I tend to think of these passages as the greatest hits of Jesus uh, that have been compiled for us, and they give clarity to the rest of Jesus' life. They are the kind of the key by which we may read his ministry, his healing, and inevitably his death and resurrection. The lens we can observe, this is what God is doing in and through this man Jesus. It all makes sense because he talked about it here on this Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we say we use scripture to interpret other scripture. Well, then this sermon, this is the key. It's probable, though, that one of the most memorable places that Jesus preached was off the, off the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it's no coincidence that Matthew remembers the crowd gathered on a mountain by the seashore. Because for Matthew, the mountaintop is a significant place, a symbolic place, a place where inspiration and transfer, uh, transformation happens. It's a place where God reveals God's nature most fully. And in particular, the mountain is to remind the followers of Jesus of Mount Sinai, where through Moses, God delivered the Torah, the law to Israel, and now Jesus, a new Moses, bringing clarity, bringing wisdom, bringing direction to the people from the mountain. So we, we survey the scene there. Who is there? Well, we have the disciples. They're mentioned first. They are the committed. They, they've already given up to be on this way of learning. They've taken risks to join this movement with this traveling rabbi teacher. There are others there, though, who long to hear Jesus because they've heard of his ability to heal. 
because they've noticed he's relieved adversity and burdens from people. So some are coming, they are desperate. They are hoping to be restored in some way. There are some there that are curious. They've heard claims about Jesus. They want to see if they're true. Others come as skeptics. They've heard these rumors, and until they see evidence, they won't believe it as fact, but they're here to check out the scene. And then there are probably a few folks there because their spouse just brought them and said it's important to be here. And so in other words, those on the mountaintop are us. <laughs> we are with them. We are questioning. We are listening. We are deciding, is this a lesson? Is this a sermon that I want to take with me to make a difference in my life? I like how uh, Professor A.J. Levine describes the risk the reality of hearing Jesus preach. She says, think about it. On one level, to go up a mountaintop, it's risky. You could lose your balance. Your ears might pop. You could get dizzy. You might trip. You might hear something up there that you can't handle. So to make the climb up, that's an investment. It's a commitment just to be there. But staying there, sitting with it, realizing that maybe something important is happening here. That's even more courage. And letting that experience transform you, transfigure you, well, that's, that's the scary idea. So that is what we are doing here for the next few weeks as we are coming to wrestle with these words of Jesus, his preaching, particularly his introduction to his sermon, which is about being blessed. We call this section the Beatitudes. And no matter how much time you spend in your Bible, you've probably heard of these Beatitudes. In fact, they are everywhere. They have been quoted in poems and Nobel Prize speeches. They've popped up in date, uh, debates about pacifism and poverty. They were even found on a monument in China. In the mid-19th century, there was a Chinese rebel leader of the Taiping Rebellion, and he called his kingdom the Great Peace Kingdom of Heaven, and he erected in the city of Nanking a monument of the Beatitudes inscribed with Matthew's gospel. That monument was later destroyed by the imperial army, but its existence proves the Beatitudes are known and acknowledged around the world, even in unlikely places. Blessed are the poor, Blessed are those who are in mourning. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. What are we to make of these blessings? These words of Jesus have been understood and interpreted in different ways. Some people see them as foolish idealism. Others, oppressive legalism. In the 4th century, a great Christian thinker, John Chrysostom, declared that all the things Christ blesses are so contrary to the accustomed way of men and women. They are the very things which all others avoid. He's describing how these beatitudes are uncomfortable, countercultural, surprising, one marvels 
a theory of happiness so hostile to the senses, these Beatitudes. Another writer proposed they are threatening to physical survival. German Lutheran Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose ministry was spent in opposition to Nazi Germany, said the culture of the Beatitudes could not be any more opposite than the dominant culture values of the German National Church. Completely different world. American novelist Kurt Vonnegut pointed out, Christians often fight for the Ten Commandments to be posted in public places, but never the Beatitudes, because they're absurd. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. Give me a break. American philosopher Dallas Willard told the story of a woman whose son left the church because he was told the Beatitudes describe the ideal Christian. And the son protested, I could never be like that. The Beatitudes are too feminine for me. How telling. Culture so skewed by some form of masculinity that some won't take these words of Jesus seriously. Some see these Beatitudes as only virtuous qualities that God promises to reward. They're entrance requirements to the kingdom, but they're impossible benchmarks. None of us can be saved. Virginia Owens was teaching an English class, and she assigned her freshmen uh, to read an essay on the Sermon of the Mount. And she was astounded by their responses. I did not like this essay, Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read and made me feel like I had to be perfect and no one else. The stuff the church preaches is strict and allows for no fun without thinking it's a scourge. <laughs> the things asked in this sermon are absurd, unrealistic, and far too demanding. These are the reflections of her are we to make of these words, the Beatitudes? Are they fairy tale visions of life to come? Are they only there to point out how far we've fallen and now raise an impossible expectation? The curses must be brief. For Matthew, neither is true. For Matthew, Jesus' words are entirely, entirely good news. Luke has a version of these beatitudes in his text. They're balanced with blessings and woes. Not so in Matthew. No woes here. Nothing negative to start in Jesus' sermon. They are a positive sign of what is happening now that the reign of God has entered in. Leading up to this preaching experience, Jesus is going through Galilee. He's teaching proclaiming that the kingdom of God has arrived and there's evidence by healing of disease and sickness. There had been some expectation, some anticipation that at some moment God would break into the world and cause a massive shift. The end of an era from death and despair, an entrance into an era of light and hope. And in Jesus, it was happening. As Pastor Daryl Johnson said so well, in him, in Jesus, because of him, the long-awaited, glorious, recreating reign of God was invading the world. Jesus is a breaking point, a glorious change. He's telling the people, repent, the kingdom is here. Think again, 
think anew, turn around, go in a new direction, orient your life around the way God wants it to go. And the clearest sign, the very best evidence that people are turning and changing and thinking new is that they are becoming beatitude people. What does it look like when God's power takes hold in your life? Jesus says, let me show you. Let me show you these blessed ones. Like I said, that word blessed has so many meanings. In the Greek, it is makarios. A student in uh, Professor Levine's New Testament class at Vanderbilt once said she could remember that Greek word because it reminds her of macaroons, which are also a blessing. So macaroons, makarios, if it works for you. It's often interpreted, and Stephanie mentioned this, as happy. Happy are those who are meek. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Similar, the word is used in a similar fashion in Psalm 84. Happy are those who live in God's house ever singing God's praise. And that is true, that when we center our lives on God, on Christ, follow him, it, it does make us more joyful. But something sounds a bit sadistic to say, happy are those who are persecuted, or happy are those who mourn. And besides, happy may be misleading because it puts the emphasis on how we are feeling. And makarios does not refer to how you and I measure ourselves. Doesn't, it's not speaking about our condition. <laughs> it refers to how God assesses us, how God sees us. When God looks upon your life and God smiles upon you and God is happy in you, that's being blessed. When God observes the priorities and practices of your life and says, right on, that's being blessed. Pastor Daryl Johnson likes the phrase right side up in place of blessed. As he was describing his kind of understanding of what being blessed means, it reminds me, and this is an obscure reference, of a 1990s hip-hop duo named Crisscross. Two teenagers, they were like 12 and 13. They were discovered in an Atlanta mall. They were known for their lyrics, but probably as much their fashion because they wore their clothes backwards. And Chris Kelly, one of the duo uh, who was interviewed in 2013 just prior to his tragic death, said although they'd been at, he'd been out of the music business for 20 years, he still always wore his pants backwards for 25 years. He said, when I wake up in the morning, that's just how I put them on. Who's to say he's not right and all of us are wrong? When we read the blessings of Jesus, they may appear backwards. They appear upside down. But Jesus says, no, Makarios, they're right side up. It's right side up to have sorrow, to be meek, to be pure in heart. When you read them the first time, they may seem out of place. Reread them again, and you discover that maybe, it may be a lot of what culture is, is out of Maybe they look impossible the first time you read into them. Maybe after you read them again, you realize, well, nothing else is possible without these. My favorite interpretation of blessed is to say the word synchronized. synchronized. I'm reminded of watching 
my daughter perform on her dance team with her peers. And I just stand in amazement. I know they put in a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of practice. But to see the synchronization of their routine, moving in the same rhythm, their arms, their body, their feet, all moving at a particular beat to match one another, alignment. There's not 12 girls on stage. There's really just one moving in tune. To be blessed, to be in sync with God, with God's love, with God's purpose, with God's hopeful intention. We begin moving in line with God so much that when others look at us, it's as if they're seeing God. In sync, those who are in sync with God are poor in spirit. Those who are in sync with God are merciful. Those who are in sync are those who suffer for the good news. What does it mean to be blessed? The way Jesus describes it, do you hear them as idealistic suggestions, unapproachable, foolish wisdom? That's one approach. Are they impossible standards? Another instance that we will never prove worthy of the perfection that God demands. Is that what you see here? After all, Henry Nouwen once said, who wants to be poor? Who wants to be persecuted? Who can be a peacemaker all the time? Or gentle? Or concerned about justice all the time? Where is the realism here? But Nouwen also said, Jesus shows us that when we model our lives on him, a new door opens for us, a new world. The kingdom of heaven begins to be ours. We're recognized as God's children. We see God alive in our life, not just in the afterlife, but here and now. What are the greatest blessings I asked you at the beginning of the service? have the signs of the Beatitudes in our life. These indicators, blazing indicators that we are those coming in line with Jesus. That we are in sync with the Almighty. To hear God say to you, right on. Congratulations. Splendid. You are right side up. You are bringing joy to me. Because together we are changing the invite you to study these Beatitudes with me the next few weeks. Let's pray for each other today. What's been aching at your heart, distracting you, causing, causing blockages in your faith, your conviction, your work, your focus, because you've been worried about others? Is it a friend, a family member? Is it an issue in our world? Is it a situation in your work? Is it a struggle with where your faith stands today? Is it a problem that a child is having? A decision that needs to be made? Is it because you're just tired and you just don't know, should I get up and do anything today? Put it on your heart as we pray. Let us, let us sing together and let us lift these concerns to God.
God, our creator, our maker, our focus. Come today seeking the strength, Lord, to embrace the blessings which you desire for us. Blessings that confound the wisdom and strength of this world. Teach us to be your agents, Lord God, of change, of renewal in a world touched by death, by injustice, by poverty. Teach us to become beacons of hope in a world shrouded in darkness. Lord God, transform us into the image of you, marked by the trials of the cross. Writing your your word, your law upon our hearts and making us pure by your perfect love. Embolden us, God, to be your ambassadors, living as representatives of this holy kingdom, stirring in us a profound love for others, especially those who would even seek to destroy us because of you. Make us decrease so you might increase, that a a watching world would see you and not us. Daily we declare that your priorities are ours, even before our own needs, even before our desires. Every moment we live, God, we live for your glory, the glory of a loving parent, the glory of a just ruler. Free us from distraction, cravings, anxiety, those things that block us from fully following you. We acknowledge that everything we could possibly need is yours to give us. Our heartaches at times cause us to lose faith, God. So reassure us in your healing power, your eternal presence, that you are already tending to the brokenness of those whom we love, We are thinking about them. We are naming them in our hearts. There are those within our own congregation that, Lord God, we know need your healing presence. We continue in our prayers for Phil Fowler, for Jan Thomas, for Bev Parham. We're grateful today for Starla's presence with us after being hospitalized earlier this week, bring continued healing to her. Lord God, usher us into praise. For we praise you for you are faithful to those who are lost. Those who are facing disparity. Those who are battered and grieving. Remind us, God, of the sinful brokenness and your gift of grace. Even as we encounter the harshness of others. You are the answer to every question. You are the treasure we seek. And it is you who invites us into reconciliation, into newness of life. We are as prodigals returning to your warm embrace. Keep us upon your path, Lord God. 
bearing the good fruit of your spirit. For it is you that all hope is built, now and forever. We lift our prayers to you, so grateful for the name of Jesus who taught us to pray these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Thank you for all the blessings in our life. Help us to share those with those in need. Amen.